This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. We're going to talk a little bit today about the word for the day. You know, we have a word sometimes, and our word for the day is culture. So that sounds a little bit different in terms of what we've been talking about, but it's not really different. It fits right in with the way. Of course, the way involves culture. The way sits inside of a culture, and culture is most definitely uh, a huge aspect of the way. We just had a mass exodus. Culture, interesting word. <clears throat> of course, we have um, cultural trends in our world, in our, in our country. That's been going on for a very, very long time. And uh, you, you hear different terms like um, pop culture, hip-hop culture, you know, around the whole rock and roll environment through the late 50s, 60s, 70s. They talked about the culture and... Some of them like to describe it as a culture of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it was unfortunate for the ones that, you know, were in it who didn't involve sex and drugs. But I don't know who who or how to separate all that out. But that's that was kind of a self-definition some of them gave themselves. And these days you have hip-hop culture. You have a lot of different trends and, and things that happen in our world. And... um I was thinking about the radical changes that have happened in society from time to time. And you you go all the way back to the founding of the nation, and you had um, people who had come to what they called the New World, and they were escaping some sort of suppression where they were coming from. They wanted some religious liberties. They wanted new opportunities. They wanted a, a chance at a better way of life, a way of life that was more attractive to them. So they came here, and a couple hundred years pass, and they um, they start, you know, trying to figure out how to make this official and how to set it up as a, a nation and a democracy. And so you had leaders that rose to the top. And those leaders started to sit around and have conversations about how to do this. And step number one, they figured, was let's declare what we are about and let's declare what we're going to do. So five men uh, gathered in a room. They were appointed as like a committee and they discussed it. And they decided they wanted to declare their independence from Great Britain. And so... Who is it that's going to write this declaration? And so they discussed it among themselves. They had a little roundtable talk, and they voted. And they voted for a guy named Thomas Jefferson to write out this Declaration of Independence. Well, all the kids just left. Some of them may not know who Thomas Jefferson is. If there's anybody sitting in here right now who doesn't know who Thomas Jefferson is, then we've got bigger problems for you than or with you, then we're going to be able to take care of in an hour on a Sunday morning. But believe me, there are school-age kids now who don't know who he is because we've sort of lost and we sort of veered off track in some environments of the way we teach history and who we talk about and how much time we spend on certain historical 
uh, situations and historical people. But Thomas Jefferson, of course, became the third president of the United States, and he's the one who wrote the Declaration of Independence. And then it was turned over to a guy named Benjamin Franklin. And if you don't know who that was, you've got bigger problems than we can deal with in, in an hour on a Sunday morning. Ben Franklin evidently was a little smarter than Tom Jefferson because they gave it to him to proofread and to edit. And so he doctored it a little bit here and there, changed some wording, and then presented it, and they ratified it, approved it, and decided to present it as their Declaration of Independence. <clears throat> it was the launch of what had built up to a new culture in the world, a culture of democracy that was going to become known as the United States of America. Okay? So, Jeff, why are we having history lessons here at church? You know, we could get this somewhere. Believe me, I'm getting to that. I'm getting to, as Ernest T. Bass would say, I'm getting to that. And if you don't know who Ernest T. Bass is, you've got bigger problems. And <clears throat> who, do, who, no, I don't even want to know. I, I do not want to know because I don't want to harbor prejudices against you. Hello? Um, so we'll get to how this applies. Hang on with me. So they present this, and, and I also would ask for a raise of hands, but I, was, I probably don't want to know this either. Who knows what the opening line of the Declaration of Independence is? I'll just go ahead and tell you that it says, that we hold these truths to be self-evident that what? All men are created equal. Okay? So it establishes an ideal that all human beings are equal. Well, you have to understand what that, what, how that applies and what it really means because it doesn't mean that we all have equal intelligence. We're not all created equally when it comes to our level of intelligence. It doesn't mean that we're all created equal physically and have the same physical capabilities. That's just not true. And I always cringe when I hear celebrities, athletes, or whoever, tell young people, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do if you just want it bad enough and work hard enough to get there. It's just not true, y'all. It's just not true. Um, if you are 5'2 and have the fat gene, you're not going to be an NBA superstar. I don't care how bad you want it. Muggsy Bugs was 5'3", but he could run like the wind and jump like a deer, so he did have a career in the NBA, but that's one in a billion. That's not everybody who's 5'3", who wants to be an NBA superstar, okay? You cannot appoint me tomorrow as the president of Harvard University. I'm just not smart enough. The president of Harvard is way smarter than me. So that's not what it means. What it relates to is value. Inherent value as a person. 
everybody is on equal ground so that the president of Harvard or Albert Einstein or anybody else who is super intelligent is no more valuable than the slowest intellectually slowest person on earth. They are equally valuable. Well, the problem that immediately, it wasn't, it wasn't 100 years later, it started immediately that people, some people had with the statement that all men were created equal was that while signing the declaration with one hand, some of the signers, in the other hand, had a proverbial whip that they were using to keep their frightened slaves in order. Yeah? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about equality. See, because there were people who actually got it immediately and started to say, if we're going to declare as a new nation that all people are created equal, then how is it that one group of people is going to be able to own another group of people and force them to do what they want them to do for the owner's benefit and without compensating the people that they're using? That went on for a hundred years, those ideas and that talk went on until you come to the point where it has boiled up to the surface and something has to be done. And then there is this tremendous shift in culture in America that was caused by the Civil War. Now, everything didn't change just like that, but officially slavery was abolished. Officially, we became a nation where people did not own other people and force them to do what they wanted them to do. It took a long time to work, and we're still working. You know, it took a long time to make progress. It took a long time for cultural shifts. And right on into the 20th century, then people started to organize their lives around family and the nation. And that's what the culture became early on in the 20th century, post-Civil War, as we progressed with a new mentality and a new way. Then the, the, the focus became on, the culture became centralized on family and on the nation. Why is it that in the 20s, 30s, 40s, that when people graduated from high school, men mainly, went to work or went to college and then went to work, and they did not hate their jobs. You ever think about that? Because more than 50% of the people I know right now, I believe, hate their jobs, especially younger people. They hate their jobs. They go to work because they have to make a living. But they hate their jobs. My grandfather worked in a furniture factory for 38 years. And for 30 of the 38 years, he did the same thing, which was to sand dresser tops. And he never hated his job. 
it broke him down some physically. He got arthritis as he got older, and it was tough on him. But he got up every morning. He went to work. He was productive. He was satisfied. He made his paycheck. And the thing is, he didn't make his paycheck for himself. He made his paycheck for his family. And he saw his job as a vital part of life because without his job, he could not take care of his family. And when it came time to go to war, when, when our leaders decided that we had to go to war to protect freedoms and to promote what was right as they perceived it in the world, you had no trouble finding young men to step up and say, hey, I'll go. You had 14, 15, 16-year-olds who would falsify documents to be able to go to war to fight for their country. The level of patriotism was enormous. No trouble at all. These days, one of the hardest jobs in America is to be a, a, an Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Air Force recruiter because you cannot find young men or young women hardly that want to go do that. They don't want to, and I'll tell you why in a minute. You didn't have the Internet. You didn't have television, by and large, up until into the 1950s. Not everybody had a TV. Sometimes they would sit around in groups and listen to the radio. They sat on the porches and they talked to each other. If, if the neighbor over here had an issue with his crops or his barn burned down or something happened that caused him a hardship, you know what happened? Everybody else in the community went over there and helped him. And now we got neighbors we don't even know their names. And so many people have moved into cities, which, by the way, and this is my opinion, you can argue it or refute it if you'd like to, living in cities, I don't believe, was ever God's plan for mankind. For us to live piled up on top of each other, stacked up on top of each other like that in numbers that go into the millions. I believe for God, God meant for us to live in community, to live in relationship with each other, to be able to get to each other, but to have a little space to breathe and a little room where you didn't have to worry about everything all the time and be looking over your shoulder wondering who's going to harm you or who's going to steal from you. So, a lot of focus on family, on the country. That's what people live for. And then you got into, that, that went on like through the 50s and you get into the 60s and then all of a sudden there's a culture shift. And the reason there's a culture shift is because there, this message started to be perpetuated in our society that was a message of individualism. Okay? It's all about you. Advertising turned to be about the individual. What is it that will please you? What is it that will make your life better? What is it that will make you more fulfilled? What is it that will satisfy whatever it is that you want? We have that. We can offer that to you, and we can give it to you on payments. So you have something else that rarely existed prior to that time, and that was credit and debt in everybody's life. 
It's always been around. But I can tell you right now, my grandfather never borrowed money from a bank. <laughs> never borrowed money to buy a car. He saved up his money to buy what he needed to buy. But then all of a sudden, we will sell you whatever you think will satisfy you and we'll do it on payments. Culture shift, individualism, it becomes about me. And all of a sudden, young people start to come together. All these young people from different places come together to support each other in their ideas of individualism. This is what the pop culture sprung out of. And so now you go through the 60s where it's, I want to do my own thing. I want to do what pleases me, what satisfies me. You have the sexual revolution. You have a revolution of music in our country which supported and promoted all of that. You go back and we get caught, we get caught up sometimes. I know I do because I'm, I'm a music buff. I love music. And sometimes I'll be surfing the radio and I'll land on a song and I'm just all into that song. And, and then all of a sudden I'll be like, my gosh, do you hear what they're saying? I was, in, I was in the car one day, and I'm like, this song comes on, the music, I'm just with it, and all of a sudden he's like, if you want my body and you think. I'm like, what am I doing? Some of it's just terrible, you know, the message. But, but they became accepted in our culture, you know. Uh, what, you, what you can find now is, is music that contains messages and language and themes and, and stuff that is just unbelievable that it's out there for public consumption. But it happened through a process of evolution, when we started to allow a little bit in and a little bit in and started pr to promote individualism, and all of a sudden we've landed somewhere which I wish we'd never landed. Okay, so which is right? Which is right? I know one of those lifestyles seems cleaner. One of them seems more pleasant. One of them seems... Uh, you know, like a better way to live, and perhaps it is. But I have to tell you today that the reason for me telling you all this is to tell you that neither one of them is right. Neither one of them is totally right. One of them may be better in some ways. You could describe how it's better in some ways, how it's cleaner in some ways, how it's, how it's more wholesome in some ways. But what have, what have I been talking about since I stood up here? I've been talking about history, America, families, individuals, culture. What have I not been talking about? I haven't been talking about God. I haven't been talking about faith. I haven't been talking about the way. I haven't been talking about Jesus Christ as our Savior. I haven't talking, been talking about our eternal hope and our eternal future. I haven't talking, been talking about obedience and prayer and submission and the Word of God. I haven't been talking about any of that. 
And if we're going to leave that out, then we're going to have to land on the truth that what we're talking about cannot possibly be absolutely right if it's void of God, if it's void of the way. See, if, if family and country is all it takes to make it right, then why do we keep going to war? Why do we keep shedding blood of other human beings? Why do we show so very little care or compassion if that process of shedding blood includes innocent children? Just so that we can exact revenge and get our way, retaliate, prove a point. How can it ever be in the heart of God that part of proving our point is to take the life of an innocent child? See, I'd, if you're just going to take God out of the equation and say He's not there, then I prefer the life, the 50s and prior to that, I really do. I, I would prefer that kind of life. Not everybody would. But I would. I guess I'm old-fashioned. I've gotten to the point, I guess I'm at the age where that's just what I would prefer. I prefer to live in the country. I prefer some peace and quiet. I would prefer an environment with the folks I live around, my neighbors, where we would go and help each other and bless each other and assist each other and have some sort of a relationship with each other. I prefer to live in a society where people support what is right and where patriotism does exist as long as it's towards the right things. But look, it's not about just choosing between this way of life or that way of life. It's about what are we going to do with the God factor? What are we going to do about the way? What are we going to do? How, how are we going to deal with the fact that there is a God? That His Son Jesus did come to earth to live and to die and to rise again so that we can get into the heart of the Father. What are we going to do with that? It's a reality. It's here. It's in front of us. We get ourselves in so much trouble because we tend to leave all that out when we're dealing with government and nation and politics and policies, and world affairs, we, we leave that out. And as long as we're leaving that out, we're only going to have more trouble. Well, you know, in, in the 60s, Martin Luther King Jr. quoted that first sentence from the Declaration of Independence many times in many of his speeches. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. And he presented a message that said, let's promote equality through a peaceful approach, through sitting and talking with one another, through working out our problems, and let's do so under the covering of the shadow of the Almighty. Let's, I think that's a pretty good idea. I think it was a pretty good idea. It was good enough to get him killed in our country, right here in our country. He was not killed in another country. He was killed here. For saying we're all equal, 
let's work in a peaceful process and let's try to get along with each other and let's love each other like we're supposed to under the shadow and in the shadow and under the wing of the Almighty. Let's move toward a reality of people acting like that we're all equal. When you leave God out, you kill each other when they don't agree with you. Our politicians in Washington right now are, are proverbially at least, symbolically at least, trying to kill each other, at each other's throats. We've reached a point now where, by and large, neither side's ever going to agree with the other side, no matter what it is they're talking about. Why? Because they're at war with each other. You know, at this point, it's not about what's best for the American people. It's about how can I get my way. News is not news anymore. News is opinions. So you used to have uh, newspapers where you had op-ed insertions. Op-ed, you know what that stands for? Opinion editorials. That's where people, that's where the writer could express their opinion. Everything else was reporting the news. Here's what's happening. Now you can't flip on a mainstream news channel and just get the news. You're just getting somebody's opinion. Somebody's uh, promoting their own agenda. Somebody's promoting their own way. Somebody's criticizing the other side. It's sickening. Why? Because we've left out the God factor. We just keep leaving it out. We just keep shutting it down. We just keep ignoring the fact that God is the one who has created all of us equally. Pay attention to the language. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equally. That's where they got it right. All men did not just all of a sudden, bam, and here they were, and they're equal. All men didn't rise up from some, from some tadpole somewhere way back billions of years ago, and all of a sudden we're equal. All men were created by a master creator, God Almighty, and he created every one of us with equal value to everyone else. And what would happen to our country and to the world if we would really start to see each other that way? that I, I recognize that as God created you and as the way He sees you, you are just as valuable as I am. Just as valuable. So, what kind of culture do we need? What kind of culture do we want to walk in? Do we want to live in? It's the kind of culture everybody needs, but I, the sad news to share with you this morning is that there are not that many who are willing to do what it takes to live in this culture. I'll share a scripture with you in a minute that reveals that. Here are a few verses that are going to put these verses up on the, on the screen one at a time. The, the first one is from Matthew chapter 3, where he says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. How does that relate to culture? This is John the Baptist speaking, and he is making a declaration. 
just like Thomas Jefferson wrote his declaration, John the Baptist is writing his right now. Repent. Repent. Turn around. Turn away from what you've always believed. Turn away from the culture that you've been part of for your whole life. Turn away from your man-made systems. Turn away from your own philosophies, your own doctrines, your own opinions, your own theories. Turn away from that because that's what the word repent means. It means turn around and go the opposite direction. And the opposite direction is going to lead you into an understanding that the kingdom of heaven is right here in front of you. John didn't say it's coming sometime way down the road. He didn't say it's out in the future. If you live a certain way, you can have it. He said the kingdom of heaven is right here. And not long after he made that statement, Jesus walks on the scene. Right there is the kingdom right in front of you. Lived out in the form of a person. A God person who was also a human person. And the kingdom came. And Jesus said, I came to establish the kingdom of God in the earth. I came to perpetuate my Father's words in the earth. Started way back in the beginning when the word went out of the mouth of God and began to establish what was in the heart of God in the earth. And Jesus said, I'm here to continue that process. I'm here to bring the kingdom to you. You don't have to wait for it. It's here for you right now. John chapter 13 a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Oh, um, I mean, I think just about every Christian has heard that. I think just about every church has had that preached inside its walls. I think people would declare that's foundational to the Christian faith. What's the problem then? The problem is most Christians just don't do it. That's the problem. That's why I'm saying that the number of people who are willing to do what it takes to live in the culture known as the way is very small. Because you come to powerful command. Look at the word command. Not an option. You don't get a multiple choice here. This is it. I command you that you love one another. So you must love one another. And this is the way people are going to be able to identify you as my followers is if you love one another. So go home this afternoon to Google and find the place where Jesus said, that people are going to recognize you as followers of mine if you declare to them that you're a Christian. You'll be there a while because you're not going to find it. It's not there. If you tr try to search and find where Jesus said, they're going to know you're my followers if you go to church or if you're a member of a church, you're not going to find it. It's not there. As a matter of fact, the only identifying factor that he ever gives to anybody that would prove 
that you are a follower of mine is this one right here. If you love one another. Well, we could stay there a long, long time. But we can't stay because I've got a clock up there in front of me and I have to live by it. Matthew chapter 23. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's another kingdom principle. John announces the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and here is a principle of the kingdom. If you exalt yourself, you're going to be humbled, and if you are humbled, you will be exalted. It's a principle we find a lot of contrast, a lot of paradoxes with if we pay attention to the way the modern day church operates. Because we really, in our individualistic society, love to exalt ourselves. Love to promote ourselves. And the kingdom is never, ever about self-promotion. It's about promotion of the Savior. So that others can see and know by our love and by our obedience that He's the one. That our culture, that our, that our way is centered on. Matthew chapter 19. Very, very interesting story. These verses are preceded by an encounter that Jesus has with a rich young man. And the rich young man asked him, he says, how do I, how do, listen, here's my paraphrase of what he asked. What's required for me to live in this way that you're presenting? Very straight, easy to understand question, right? What's required for me to live in this way that you are presenting? And Jesus answered, the first answer he gave, which precedes these verses, is, hey, obey the commandments. Obey the, Everybody has the commandments in front of you. Obey them. The guy said, well, I do that. Is that it? Nothing else? And Jesus said, well, that's first. That's why I said it first. I said it first, but here's the rest. If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven, then come and follow, follow, follow me. So does Jesus require of every follower that they sell all their possessions and give it to the poor? No. This is a statement that addresses the issue of individualism. You're rich because you're all about yourself. Is what he's saying to, to him. So what's going to be required for you as an individual is that you get rid of all the stuff in your life that promotes your individualism and you give the money away. Sell it all. Give the money away. Then come and follow me. 
Because then you've lost your individualism. Now you're ready for the way. That's powerful stuff. Y'all don't act like it's impacting you, like it's impacting me, but that's all right. Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate. Now, this is the one that I told you was coming. That's going to suggest to us that the number is few of people who are really willing to commit to it. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Somehow, I think that the narrow gate and the wide gate are not representative of the kingdom way and the way of the world. I see it more as a contrast between the kingdom way and the way of regular Christianity. A lot of people enter by the wide gate, the easy gate, the gate that says all you have to do is to pray a sinner's prayer and you're good to go. That's the wide gate. The gate that suggests that there's no sacrifice required. That obedience is not a requirement. That diligence is not a requirement. That a steady ingestation of the Word of God in response to what it says is not a requirement. Just pray the sinner's prayer and you're good to go. That's the wide gate. Christianity at large is the wide gate. The kingdom way is the narrow gate. The Jesus way is the narrow gate. Those are the people who see salvation as a step through the gate, but they immediately understand that now they're facing a lifelong journey that's going to require daily obedience to His words. Daily attention to and absolute obedience to what He tells us to do. That's the narrow gate. Only a few find it, Jesus tells us. And then Luke chapter 15. I think I gave you the wrong verse because that's not it. Luke chapter 15, verse 16. Maybe I wrote down the numbers wrong here. It says, What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. What is it, what is it, in other words, we have a lot of ideas about how we ought to live. We prioritize things and we make decisions about what's important. And we pump it up. We make it big in our lives. That's why certain industries and certain aspects of our culture and our society are so big and so wealthy is because we deem it to be important and so we pour our money into it, we pour our interest into it. If you just sit in front of a television, forget about the program and just watch the commercials, you'll find out the kinds of things that we have exalted in our society because those are the things that they want, they want to sell to us. 
Those are the things that they're promoting to us. Things, and, and of course not everything. There are good things that we need to know about and we need to have an opportunity to get a hold of. They might, they'll make our lives better. But there are a lot of things that we're being force-fed as consumers that we've exalted. We've raised it up. We've considered it to be paramount in our lives. And God says that whatever is exalted by man is an abomination in his sight. And we got to get to the end of this, so Acts chapter 2 is going to be the contrast. This is going to be a description of the kingdom way. This is going to be a description of how the people of God live. This is going to be a description of what life is like for those who enter through the narrow gate. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Isn't that so simplistic? Doesn't it? I mean, it's just easy. It really is. The kingdom way is going to involve some struggle and some hardship, but man, it's such a simplistic life. Sit under the teaching. Dig into the Word. Hang out with other kingdom-minded people. Have fellowship with people who see it like you do. The truth of the way. The culture of the way. Breaking bread with them. And praying both in your own personal life and praying with other people. Praying. And it says, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Blessing follows obedience. I've heard it asked so many times or stated so many times, I wonder why we don't see miracles like we used to see. That's because we've watered down the kingdom way. We've inserted all of our own ideas and built these religious systems. And we've pressed God out on so many levels. And he just doesn't honor that. I believe it's still possible to see signs and wonders, miracles of healing. Can God still do that? Absolutely. It can't be about him. It has to have something to do with us. And all the believers, listen, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So again, we're not going to ask everybody to sell their homes, sell their, and all of us move in church building together and, and all that. But it is a, an attitude. It's a mentality. It's a spirit. It's a spirit of love. It's a spirit of cooperation. It's a spirit of sharing. It's a spirit of bearing one another's burdens. <laughs> I, I, for the life of me, I don't have any idea why, why anybody would not want that. It's a spirit of continuing to meet together so that we know what's going on with each other. 
Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The, the traditional church these days is not attracting that many hurting people. Wonder why? Because hurting people need family. They need love. They want somebody to sit with them. They want somebody to break bread with them. They want somebody to listen to their problems. They want somebody to pray for them and to pray with them. They want somebody to, to just take time, invest a little bit emotionally in them. They don't just want something else to do. And they've been betrayed and lied to by, by so many people. They don't want to be betrayed and lied to by the church that purports to live by these principles, but really through daily actions by and large does not. I think that hurting people will be attracted to those who've entered through the narrow gate who are really living this out. Story of City of Refuge, really. How it started by feeding the homeless on the streets and just continuing. And, and one of the earliest things that was said to those of us who were going out on the streets is when are y'all going away? Like, well, what do you mean by that question? Well, we know you're going away because nobody ever stays. They come and do this for a while and they feel good about themselves and they go find something else to do or they just quit. When are y'all going away? Well, we're not going away. Well, yeah, okay, whatever. We'll see. We'll see about it. We just kept showing up, kept showing up, kept showing up. Kept sitting across the table. Kept having conversations, kept praying, kept putting in drug and alcohol recovery programs and paying the bill and taking care of their business while they were gone. Still tending to the children, always showing up, just showing up, continuing to pay attention to these words that we've read together today and, and exercising a long obedience in the direction to which the Father was calling us, which was an obedience to those words. By this, people are going to know that you are my followers, if you love people, if you love one another, if you feed the hungry, if you clothe the naked, if you provide the thirsty with drink, if you minister to prisoners and widows and orphans, by this people are going to know that you are really my genuine followers. Everything else is just a facade. Everything else is just a smokescreen, a distraction to throw people off. By this you'll know. By this, people will know that you are my followers. So here's a little bit of practical that we'll, we'll close with. What's the culture of the kingdom look like for you? Once in a while, I get knocked off of off of just off balance for a minute. Because people who are, I think, part of our kingdom family will put something on Facebook that, oh, I'm just like, please don't do that. Listen, if you are going to embrace the culture of the kingdom, then pay attention to the messages you're purporting to the world. Okay, 
And you don't have any obligation to me. You don't have any obligation to this organization. But in a way, you are a representative of us. In a way, if people know that you're connected with us, you are a representative of us. That's why at City of Refuge in Atlanta, we do not allow employees to wear any apparel that supports any kind of a political idea, any kind of a racial idea, any kind of a gender or a sexually related idea, nothing. We don't allow that because we don't want to purport a message that's not the message of love. And it's not that we're, no, you know, it's not about tolerance of everything and everybody. It's about remaining true to that which we have been called toward. And that is leaving all that garbage to somebody else. We're on a mission. We're on the kingdom way. And hey, if you're going to share somebody else's post, make sure you read it. Don't just look at the title. I've had my kids share a post before and I'd see it and I'd go to them and say, what? Oh, well, I didn't really read it. Well, that's a terrible idea. So while you're spouting any kind of hatred, animosity, bitterness, resentment, hostility, think about the fact that you're walking in the kingdom way, that you're associated with a group that's walking in the kingdom way, and how that's going to come across to people who see it, and how they're trying to balance your profession, that you're in the kingdom way with this trash that you're putting out for the world to see. Uh, Jeff done got all in our business now. Attitudes. Conversations. Think about it. Jesus said, this is what the way looks like. That you love one another. Now, none of us are perfect, and all of us are going to have our little things that we have to repent for, but we continue to respond to John's instruction to repent. Repent is an everyday thing, right? Being, sa being saved, it's a perpetual thing. So, but as much as we can, we guard our attitudes, we guard our tones. I, I was telling one of my girls yesterday, listen, you can never measure the tone of a text message. So it's a mistake to draw a conclusion usually, unless they just cuss you out and you know exactly where they're coming from. But some people are just bad at written communication, and some people will say things in a way that it sounds like it has a certain tone to it, and you can draw a conclusion based on that, and you can get all up in arms about it. And perhaps that's not the tone they intended at all. They just didn't say it right. It just didn't come across right. I've known that to happen so many times. It's just a huge mistake to draw a conclusion when you haven't actually gotten verbal face-to-face -face explanations about what somebody means. And then what about entertainment? Man, that's a challenge these days, especially with younger people. Especially with younger people because you can 
teach them the truth. You can demonstrate. You can model it in front of them. You can, and we got teenagers who are part of programming in Atlanta, you know, and they're sitting in Bible studies and they're in worship services. And they're in a Christian school. And they walk out and they pop their earbuds in and, and the worst garbage you've ever heard in your life is being pumped into their brains. It doesn't work like that, y'all. And we can't do anything about everybody, but those who are connected with us, we need to be really, really attentive to the issue of entertainment. Right? We need to really help our younger people to understand that you cannot pump your brain full of garbage all the time and be able to have a clear vision of who God is and what He's trying to say to you. It just doesn't work like that. And so, the kingdom culture is what we're all about. The kingdom way is the way that we're committed to. I believe that if we will continue to love one another, that people in Thomaston, this community, will recognize that we are followers of Jesus Christ and that they will be attracted to it. Broken people will be attracted to it. People who are missing some important stuff in their life will be attracted to it. They'll want to be part of the genuineness of this environment, the, the realness of this house. And the, the people who are here, that you're the ones who make it up. You're the ones who are out there in the culture of our community with them. And we don't just live it here, but we live it out there as well. Is it easy? Yes. It's, it's very easy to walk in the way we face our struggles, but we have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. It's very simple. And the number is few. But with this number right here, like we talked about when we studied David, if David could do what he did with 30-something very loyal and committed followers and an inner circle of three and one main guy that was always at his side, then we can do a lot with what we have here. Do you all agree with that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for teaching us something about the culture of the kingdom today. Thank you for helping us to see clearly what our priorities should be and what our focus should be on. Help, help us to remember in the days to come, uh, that help, help us to listen for the voice of your Holy Spirit as he reminds us of these very, very important words that we've shared today. That people are going to know you're my followers if you love each other. That everybody who exalts themselves is going to be brought down and everybody who walks in humility is going to be exalted. Help us to remember these words. Help us to understand that your commandments, both to us corporately and individually, are the foundations and the basis for our lives. That there are all kinds of voices that are lying to us. Help us to move past the lie that individualism is the way we should go. Help us to live in truth. Truth. And we worship you and we thank you for what you've done so far, but there's so much more to come. So much more to come. And we 
commit ourselves again to a long obedience in the direction of which you're calling us. In your name we pray. Amen.